Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning. <laughs> we don't have to be so dramatic, but today we are excited to start a new sermon series that we are in call that we are calling There is a Light. There is a light. And you know what? It feels great to, to be able to preach and to see everyone again. The school was a, a great season, but how many of you are glad it's over? Amen? The rest of you probably weren't there. Maybe that's why you don't realize perhaps the struggle, but we are so glad to be back. Uh, we're going to start this series called There is a Light, and it'll take us right to our Christmas Eve morning service on December the 24th. And um, this morning's message is entitled, You Are the Light. At a crossing, and the old signal man in charge had to appear in court. After a severe cross-examination, he was still unshaken. And he said he had waved his lantern frantically, but all to no avail. And so the following day, the superintendent of the line, the train line, called him into his office. He said, you did wonderfully yesterday, Tom. Afraid that the old lawyer was going to ask me whether or not my lantern was lit. So you see, he was holding the lantern to signal the train crossing, which shone well, but it was not lit. And this morning, this is going to set the tone for us because in Scripture that we are told that you are the light of the world. And it's good to know that, but we have to make sure the light is on. Can somebody say amen? And so the first recorded words of God in Scripture are found in Genesis 1, verses 1 to 5. Would you stand for the reading of God's word as we turn there? Genesis chapter 1. In case it's your first time opening up a Bible, it's right in the beginning on the first page, starting at the first chapter and the first verse. And here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the covered the deep and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Verse 3, then God said... Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the, from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we have this wonderful opportunity to open up this book and Lord, I pray that as we consider what your word says about light, but also about us as being carriers of this light, Lord, I pray that you would open up our understanding, open the eyes of our heart. And Father, now I pray that you would anoint my mind, my heart, and my mouth, that I might speak your word only. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. The first words that God uttered, at least the recorded word that we have in our Bible, is God saying this, let there be light. And there was. And God, I love, I love it because he comments on his own handiwork and he says, this is good. This is good. And, 
And I love it because there's a big distinguishing factor between light and darkness on the other hand. Light and darkness. And it's interesting that it said that he separated them. And to fully appreciate the light, we have to understand what darkness is. And it's not complicated. I'm going to give it to you on the screen. Darkness is the partial or total absence of light. Pretty simple. Another dictionary definition right under it was wickedness or evil. So it's interesting that even the dictionary would identify darkness with wickedness or with evil. But God created what? The light. He said, let there be light, and there was. And in Genesis, we read it, then he separated the two. Now, I know in the context of a day and a night, uh, you know, it's morning, you wake up, nighttime, you go to sleep. I understand that. But today, spiritually speaking, we're talking about light and darkness. The dictionary identifies that there is a darkness or a wickedness or evil. But God, the light that he has... There is no evil in it. There's no wickedness in it. But it is pure and it is good. For God said it himself. He spoke it and it was. And so in Matthew chapter 4, if you have your Bible, turn with me there. Because we're going to speak about, before we can understand how we are the light of the world, I just want to share with you about Jesus. So Matthew chapter 4. And we'll begin reading at verse 14. And here's what it says concerning Jesus. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and of Naphtali, beside the sea, beside the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live. And here it is. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. And that light is Jesus. As he was beginning his ministry now in Galilee, this is what the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, who it's recorded there, but now it's being said of Jesus in fulfillment of that prophecy and that prophetic word. And so this morning, um, we're going to look at the light that we've been called to bear. Is that okay? You can give me your attention for a few more minutes. And with God's help, we're going to get there. And I remember in our second year of marriage, uh, we've been married eight, nine, eight or nine years. But in our second year of marriage, that part is clear. Now with three kids, it becomes a little harder. Uh, I took Priscilla to Maine. And uh, how many of you have ever been to the state of Maine in the U.S.? Anyone? Yes, Nick, thank you. I got one witness. There's nothing too exciting in Maine. It's just a lot of hills and there's like Sugarloaf Mountain. is a decent mountain if you like skiing. But Maine borders Quebec and New Brunswick. It's really close. And so we went there. I have some friends that live there. So we said, let's go. We'll relax. Uh, I was there going to record some music uh, in a studio with a friend. And so then um, we just spent some time. We went to Portland, Maine. We drove up the coast in New England. It was beautiful. But in Maine, there's not too much to do. However, it is known for its many beautiful, yes, lobsters, but also lighthouses lighthouses there are some beautiful lighthouses in maine and actually couldn't do we have that up there so this is one of them i believe that one's in portland maine but they're beautiful they're picturesque and i remember when i was in bible school on some weekends we would go to some lighthouses play soccer because they had like nice big fields 
And it was just a sight to behold. And actually, I loved Lighthouses so much that when I was ordained into the ministry, Priscilla rallied the family to chip in some money and got me this giant uh, picture frame that I had in my old office. Now I still have to put it up here of a giant lighthouse. And in the middle of it, like the waves are engulfing this lighthouse. And there's the, the, the man or the lighthouse keeper who's there. And you see the waves are about to crash, but he's finding shelter in this lighthouse. And so for me, it's just a picture of what we're called to do, but also that our God is a strong tower as well. But a lighthouse is a tall building near the coast or the shore with a flashlight at the top or a lantern or however you want to define that. And the two main purposes of a lighthouse are to serve, number one, as a navigational aid and to warn, number two, boats of dangerous areas. Could be rocks near the shore. But notice the, its position because I believe it's intentional. It's near the coast or near the shore. Obviously, it's more shallow. But here's another thought. All boats that are at sea eventually need to come home and get docked. And so they need to know where the light is because that's where home is. They need to know where the light is. And so there is a light. There is a light that shines in the darkness. His name is Jesus. And there's a light that has to shine in every believer who calls themselves a Christian or a son and daughter of God. And this light is your responsibility to carry. But it's not your light, it's His light. But it's in your container. But why? And what is the purpose? And here it is. Light was always designed to shine in the dark. Light was always designed to shine in the dark. So Sunday mornings, I love getting together with all of you. And we love calling on the name of the Lord. I love praying for all of you and praying for one another. But here's the thing. If this is all we did, we would completely miss the mark. Because it's like a bunch of candles all in the same room, lighting up one space, and then that's all we do. Light was always designed for darkness. And so it's easy, I, I submit to you this thought, it's easy to shine in here. But where it really counts is when we go home, when we go back to work tomorrow, or when, whenever, whatever you have planned for the rest of the week. That is where God designed your light, which is actually His light, to shine ever so brightly. And I know you don't want to say amen because that's a big responsibility. So you can say, ouch, that's okay too. Light was always designed to shine in the dark. Matthew 4.16, we read it, but I just want to reiterate it. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. So this light is not just ordinary. It's not like these lights that are good enough to light up the stage, the platform, or, or, or our, our room here. But it's a great light. It's a great light. And with it comes the responsibility. And so it says that we have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. You see, without Jesus and the light of Jesus, there's no hope. There's no hope. It's just darkness. But light is a hope. And that's why we always say, well, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Because we know that what, what is waiting is the exit or, or the hope that we're waiting for. So light also represents hope for us. There is a light. And I just briefly want to spend a few moments talking to you about Paul. His name is Saul. And some of us might think, 
well, in Acts chapter 9, where his conversion, that then he goes by Paul, like, like it's his new name. It's actually not. One is, one is Hebrew, one is Greek. Chapter 9, we see that the same light that we're talking about today was used to transform Saul slash Paul's life in a very meaningful way. And we're going to just look at a few verses in Acts chapter 8 and 9. So you can just flip through there and get, get ready. But uh, what's an interesting thing to take note of is in Acts chapter 8, when we first uh, discover Paul, it's letting us know what kind of a person he was. And Paul was going around persecuting the church. Now, in the beginning, you say, I'm a Christian. They didn't really call themselves that. They were known as people of the way. Because who is the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so they were calling him, these Christians or these this early disciples, people of the way. And after Jesus had departed, we know that the church had its birth in the beginning of Acts. And now Paul was going around looking, after, uh, looking for all these people of the way. And he wanted to arrest them and bring them in chains. Why? Because it was contrary to the law which they followed. And so... What happens is, he's killing Christians in Acts chapter 8. He's going door to door, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And God, how many of you know, God had a plan for Saul, for Paul. Regardless of his past and regardless of what he was doing to the people of the way. And so in Acts chapter 9 verse 1, that's where I'll actually uh, take you. Here's what's going on, verse 1. I don't know if we have it on the screen, but you can definitely follow along. So Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't popular, and it still probably isn't popular today, to identify with the light or to identify with Jesus. And, and Paul was going around, they call him Saul, wanting to arrest and bring them in chains and bring them all the way back to Jerusalem. But I love what verse 3 says, and here's what we're going to look at. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, the mission was he wanted to arrest all these people of the way, bring them in, in chains back to Jerusalem. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus takes it personally. Whatever happens to his church, Jesus takes it personally as, as if it's unto him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And who are you? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men, verse 7, with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. 
So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So in the meantime, he's blind and he's fasting now. No food nor, nor drink. And this lasts for three days until God speaks to another man. And his name is found um, in our text. His name is Ananias. And it's uh, basically God is saying, you, I need you to go. And there's a man there. His name is Saul. But right away, Ananias goes, what do you mean Saul? Like, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But what do you mean Saul? I know who Saul is. I know the rumors. I've heard them. I don't even need to be in his presence. And I'm afraid of him. Why? Because he was persecuting the church. And Ananias was a believer. And so God was asking Ananias to go and see this blind Saul, who God was about to radically transform his life even more. And he says, why should I go? Ananias says to the Lord, why should I go? And listen in verse 15 of Acts chapter 9 to the Lord's response. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to, to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I love that verse. I love that verse. Because we think, well, Saul is not qualified to be one of us. Saul's not qualified. But I want you to know that when God's light touches someone's life, anything can happen. And that's why I love it. He says, no, 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 go, because Saul is my chosen instrument. And I'm here today to tell you that today you are God's chosen instrument to carry his light. You don't need a flashlight. All you need is the light of Christ shining inside of you. And as you go into this dark world, see a lot of Christians say, oh, it's too dangerous today to do street evangelism. Or it's, too, it's not the same as it was in the 70s and 80s perhaps. But here's the reality. The light trumps darkness every single time. And if we truly say greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, then what, what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? And if God says, no, you are my chosen instrument, why? Because he said, you are the light of the world. Why, why are we afraid? This world living in darkness is waiting for a light at the end of the tunnel. And we are the light of the world. Uh, amen. Amen. I, I'm not try, I don't have to convince you. It's, it's here. I know it's true. That you are the light of the world. Now the responsibility of that is maybe what's scaring you. So I can understand why you might be apprehensive to say amen. But you see, just like a lighthouse is used as a navigational aid and to warn boats of dangerous areas, God was getting ready to use Paul, Saul, call him whatever you want, as his chosen instrument to navigate people to Jesus and warn them of things to come. And, and Paul did it faithfully. In fact, almost half of the New Testament was written by this man that we were talking about today, Acts chapter 9. His life was transformed. He was never the same again. And I want you to know, if, you're, if this is your first time in church, we're not going to single anyone out or, or point a spotlight on anyone. But what we do pray is that the light of Christ finds a home in your heart today. And... Matthew 5.14. I want to read that to you today. And here's what it says. Matthew 5.14. 
You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp, then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So here's the, the reality, church, friend, that if truly God has given us this light and it is to be in us to carry and to spread and to share, just like a lighthouse casts the light, everywhere you go you cast the light and you point people and you lead people home to Jesus. Here's the reality. That's how we were designed. But if we were to say, yes, we are the light, but we hide out in church, let's consider and call this our basket. What good is it? What good is it unless we use it? And so the, the call today, as, as we approach Christmas season, there are hurting people. You might be here today and you're hurting. Before we end, we will pray with you. And we will believe God with you that all things are possible. You might say, but my past is so messy that I, I shouldn't even be in this building today. If you really knew what's inside of here, well, the good thing is I don't know. But here's the truth. When God's light shines, it begins to expose the dirt. It begins to expose the, the sin and the filth that's in here. And what God does is he doesn't care about exposing it but the reason why he does expose it is because he wants to cleanse you of it and clean your life up. And he'll change you and you will never be the same again. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet this morning. And I've asked the worship team to sing this song. We're not quite done. But I, I, this song is fitting for where we're at today and where we're headed in the next couple of weeks. That there is a light and his name is Jesus. And as we sing today... I just pray that you would open up your heart to the light that he has. And I'm going to come back and just we'll close off. But I pray that the song today, don't just, don't just be a spectator. But once you catch the gist of this song, enter in. Would you just begin to ask God for more of his light? Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.